You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. takes aim at physical goods, including food. Black Cat ransomware activity increases. Epic Games settles an FTC regulatory case. The InfraGuard database was pulled from a dark web auction site. CISA releases 41 ICS advisories. Rick Howard interviews author Andy Greenberg. Rob Boyce from Accenture examines holiday cyber threats. The growing value of open source intelligence. And Twitter says, Vox Populi, Vox Dei. the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Fittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 19th, 2022. The FBI, the FDA, USDA have issued a joint cybersecurity advisory warning of BEC. And for those of you playing acronym BINGO, congratulations on your win. But seriously, these are business email compromise attacks designed to steal food shipments. Threat actors are impersonating real food and agriculture companies to order hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of food and ingredients. The report says, while BEC is most commonly used to steal money, in cases like this, Criminals spoof emails and domains to impersonate employees of legitimate companies to order food products. The victim company fulfills the order and ships the goods, but the criminals do not pay for the products. Criminals may repackage stolen products for individual sale without regard for food safety regulations and sanitation practices, 
risking contamination or omitting necessary information about ingredients, allergens, or expiration dates. Counterfeit goods of lesser quality can damage a company's reputation. In one incident that took place as far back as February of this year, scammers posed as four different companies and stole nearly $600,000 worth of whole milk powder and non-fat dry milk from a food manufacturer. The Black Cat Alfie ransomware group is showing some increased activity lately, including an attack on a Colombian energy supplier and the release of data from D.C.'s official convention and sports authority. Bleeping Computer reports that EPM, an energy company in Colombia, fell victim to a ransomware attack orchestrated by the Black Cat ransomware group last Monday. The attack took the supplier's online services down and disrupted company operations. How much data was stolen from one of Colombia's largest public energy, water, and gas providers remains unclear as of the posting of the article. Security researcher German Fernandez notes that just over 40 devices were listed on the X-Matter tool of the threat actors, discovered via a malware analysis site. Following an October cyber attack on Events DC in October, the Black Cat Ransomware Group published what they claim is approximately 80 gigabytes of data from the Convention and Sports Authority on Thursday, the Washington Post reports. The released data, which the ransomware group claims are internal Events DC files, include incident and injury reports filed by customers impacted by the breach, contracts, board minutes, bank statements, and tax forms for employees, city plans, and arena security. The documents have not been confirmed to be genuine by Events DC. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission announced this morning that Epic Games, publisher of the popular Fortnite game, among others, has agreed to pay a total of $520 million in relief over allegations the company violated the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act and deployed design tricks known as dark patterns to dupe millions of players into making unintentional purchases. $275 million of the total settles the accusation that Epic Games violated COPPA by collecting children's personal information without verifiable consent from a parent. The remaining $245 million in the settlement will take the form of refunds to customers over allegations that Epic Games used dark pattern deceptive tactics to induce customers to make in-game purchases. Epic Games, in its own response to the settlement, focused on what it intended to do about the practices that caused the problem in the first place. It offered advice to developers about the hazards that attend attempts to streamline the checkout process. The hacker who posted data stolen from InfraGuard, a public-private cyber intelligence service led by the U.S. FBI, has removed it from the breached forums market where they'd been offered for sale. HackRead reports that the culprit said he didn't want to cause any more trouble, and in what appears to be the result of startling moral awakening, the hacker also stated that all the email addresses present in the database were emailed to Troy Hunt, so that he could add them to his website, Have I Been Pwned? The data stolen had included full names, email addresses, employment details, industry of employment, social media user IDs, and more. At the end of last week, CISA released 41 industrial control system advisories. One involves a process system. The other 40 address issues in Siemens control products. 
The Carnegie Endowment for International Peace has published another paper, this one titled Russia's Wartime Cyber Operations in Ukraine, Military Impacts, Influences, and Implications. It assesses the surprising shortfalls of Russian performance in cyberspace before and during the current war. The study refers to offensive cyber operations as cyber fires, not unreasonably, given the way electronic attack has historically been managed by fire support coordinators, at least in U.S. doctrine. Some of the conclusions are Russian cyber fires, disruptive or destructive attacks, may have contributed modestly to Moscow's initial invasion, but since then they have inflicted negligible damage on Ukrainian targets. Cyber fires have neither added meaningfully to Russia's kinetic firepower nor performed special functions distinct from those of kinetic weapons. Intelligence collection, not fires, has likely been the main focus of Russia's wartime cyber operations in Ukraine, yet this too has yielded little military benefit. While many factors have constrained Moscow's cyber effectiveness, perhaps the most important are inadequate Russian cyber capacity, weaknesses in Russia's non-cyber institutions, and exceptional defensive efforts by Ukraine and its partners. As the war continues, Russian intelligence collection probably represents the greatest ongoing cyber risk to Ukraine. The study also offers advice for other countries facing hybrid war in the future, Russian or otherwise. The short message is probably best summed up as offensive cyber operations are hard, but don't drop your guard and keep your shields up. Open source intelligence, OSINT, isn't new. General Hockenhull, commander of the UK's Strategic Command, told the Royal United Services Institute but it's certainly risen to prominence during Russia's war against Ukraine. Commercial satellites and the overhead imagery they provide have had considerable effect on collection and the intelligence developed therefrom. Online networks have made it easy for civilians in and around the war zone to report combat information about Russian forces. The Washington Post offers a similar discussion. Their reporting focused on the ubiquity of video— the war against Ukraine has become, in the opinion of experts the Post consulted, one of the most visually documented wars in history. And finally, over the weekend, Elon Musk put up a poll asking whether he should continue to run Twitter. Should I step down as head of Twitter, Mr. Musk tweeted yesterday, I will abide by the results of this poll. Early reporting by Bloomberg, based on Mr. Musk's Twitter feed itself, suggests that the eyes are having it. The poll followed an earlier announcement of a new Twitter policy banning accounts created solely to promote other social media platforms. That proved unpopular and was soon rescinded, and Mr. Musk committed to holding votes among Twitter users before enacting other major policies, stating... Going forward, there will be a vote for major policy changes. My apologies. Won't happen again. The Wall Street Journal, also reporting on the poll returns, mentions Mr. Musk's ruminations to the effect that if he were to go, there might be no one else willing to take the job. Maybe he's right. We have little to add by the way of commentary to the ongoing saga of Twitter and its adjustment to new ownership, except to say that it reminds us more and more of the literary classic Clarissa, with Mr. Musk as the eponymous heroine, the Internet as whole playing the part of Robert Lovelace, 
Or perhaps we've got it backwards and the internet is Clarissa and Mr. Musk is Lovelace. Discuss amongst yourselves. Coming up after the break, Rick Howard interviews author Andy Greenberg. Rob Boyce from Accenture examines holiday cyber threats. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Everybody, I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. It's always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's own chief security officer, also our chief analyst. Uh, Rick, welcome back and happy holidays, uh, yes. my friend. Happy holidays. <laughs> Here we are at the end of the we, year. <laughs> that's right. It is the end of 2022. Where where did it go? I, I would say I have to start uh, learning to write 2023 on my checks, oh. but I can't remember the last time I wrote a check. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the only way so, I would remember it because I wrote those things. And now I don't do that anymore, right? So Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say it at the start of every podcast, so I'm going to be re-recording that a lot <laughs> the first couple of weeks of, of uh, January. So you and your interns down in the Sanctum Sanctorum have prepared a special treat for all of your CSO Perspectives listeners. What do you have in store for us? So, Dave, both you and I are giant fans of Andy Greenberg. He's the senior writer at Wired Magazine. You've interviewed him a couple of yeah. times, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Always a good interview. Absolutely. 
And he's authored several fantastic cybersecurity books, one of them, Sandworm, about the Russian attacks against Ukraine from 2014 to 2017. That's a Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame winner. Yeah, great book. I think that's, I know that's one of the books that I interviewed Andy about. Uh, and, you know, it seems especially pertinent uh, in light of all the activity in that area of the world these days. Yeah, exactly. Well, Greenberg's written a new book, all right? It's called uh, Tracers in the Dark, uh, The Global Hunt for the Crime Lords of Cryptocurrency. That is a fantastic title, by the way, hmm. right? And it just came out, and I have to say, Dave, it's the best cybercrime book that I've read in over a decade. And I got wow. to interview Andy uh, about it. He's one of the, he's, he came on one of our shows the first time, so it's fantastic. It's about how an academic researcher, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, and an IRS investigator, and a bunch more people, they use this new technique called blockchain analysis to track down dark web criminals and arrest them. Uh, here's a clip from the show. This was the end of the Silk Road story, but really just the beginning of the story of the book, because that was when Tigran realized that Bitcoin can be traced. And he had just proved somebody's guilt through cryptocurrency tracing for the first time in the history of law enforcement. And not only that, but he soon followed another thread of like a kind of loose thread of like missing Bitcoins from the Silk Road to show that they had been taken by another corrupt agent, a secret service agent who worked in the same Baltimore office as Karl Mark Force. That was Sean Bridges. And the two of them were both corrupt agents, both investigating the Silk Road and simultaneously trying to enrich themselves from that investigation. Anyway, they just taking whatever dirty Bitcoins they could. And both of them had thought that those Bitcoins would be untraceable, so they could never be caught. And T. Green caught them both, and they both went to prison. So did I catch that right? The IRS agent, Tigran, caught two law enforcement officers acting badly on the dark web and put them in jail? I know, he did. You couldn't, if I was writing this down and making it up in a novel, people say, oh, that's unrealistic. Not one, <laughs> two law enforcement officials, yeah. right? Wow. And that, those are just two small stories in the book. And it's packed with full of amazing things. So I highly recommend it. And you can hear my interview with Andy on CSO Perspectives Pro this week. All right, well, that is on the pro side. How about on the public feed this week? So the Sanctum interns have unvaulted another pro episode for the public to listen to. This one is from the last episode of season nine. It's called Security Infrastructure as Code. And we cover the history of software development from the old waterfall model in the 1980s to agile development in the 2000s to the DevOps movement in the 2010s. And finally, to the DevSecOps resurgence starting around 2016. Yeah, it's my impression that we've made significant progress here in the last few years in regards to DevSecOps, right? Well, I would say that some security practitioners have inserted themselves into the CICD, that's continuous integration, continuous delivery pipeline, you know, for things like linear regression testing and OWASP rules. But we as a community have done virtually nothing to automate the tasks that we typically might see in the SOC, you know, things like zero trust monitoring, intrusion kill chain control deployments, resilience maintenance, and risk forecasting. So we have a ways to go here. Well, before I let you go, what is the phrase of the week over on your Word Notes podcast? The phrase of the week, I love just saying it that way, is uh, <laughs> ransomware. It's everything ransomware. you ever— I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ransomware? I don't think I'm familiar with that, Rick. <laughs> ransomware. It's this newfangled term. What it's it, brand new. What, what is ransomware? 
It's brand new on the Gartner hype cycle, so we've never <laughs> heard it before. So we're going to talk about everything you've ever wanted to know about the evolution of ransomware. And we have a fantastic nerd clip from my favorite hacker TV show, Mr. Robot. All right. Well, we will look forward to all of that. Rick Howard is the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast. Rick, thanks for joining us. And joining me once again is Robert Boyce. He is the global lead for cyber resilience and also an advisory board member at Accenture. Uh, Rob, it's always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this already, but the holidays are upon us. (laughs) And with that, uh, there are all kinds of folks who are looking to take advantage of perhaps uh, folks being away or being distracted by the holidays. I want to touch base with you on that. What sorts of things uh, are you tracking as we head into this season? Yeah, I did. And thanks for having me back. You know, I think, you know, holidays are interesting for me. And in my in my role, you know, it's I always call it holiday vigilance instead of holiday spirit, because we're always <laughs> expecting the worst to happen at this time of year. So we're always we're always on guard. Uh, you know, I, I, I find it uh, fascinating, always fascinating and just on on how innovative uh, and how much ingenuity our threat actors have uh, when it comes to things like fraud. And, you know, we've just gone through you know, COVID and, and now in a recession. So there's so many opportunities while well, now entering the holidays, of course, there's so many opportunities for um, threat actors to to take advantage of consumers and organizations. Um, and fraud seems to be one of those, the biggest things that are, are going on around the holiday time. You know, a few things that I find really fascinating. And, and again, to me, even, you know, my team giving me this research, I, I, I even thought, wow, I never thought some of these are actually happening in place, but you know, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. One is around um, what we call the refund service offering. So this is interesting, where we have you know a threat actor, um, you know, purchase a bunch of things online from you know a number of different retailers, uh, and then a different threat actor um, going back to those retailers and trying to refund the money through social engineering. And it's very well coordinated. So the, you know, the, the threat actors will post in a darkwood forum, basically saying, you know, listen, if you are able to buy something from these say eight different, uh, retailers, uh, let me know, uh, give me the information about the purchase and I will go ahead and, and get a refund there through different social techniques, social engineering techniques that they employ. Um, and for that, they keep about you know 40% of whatever is refunded. So it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating that this happens. And what we've seen so far in the chatter already this year is that um, more requests than ever have been started to, to go back and forth between you know, the, the individuals or the threat actors offering these services. So we're already seeing an uptick in that, that behavior now. Do you suppose the, that that uptick is a response to uh, sort of global financial conditions or just a, a continuation that uh, they're finding that these things work? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think when, when since since COVID, really, the, the I think online shopping has been you know the number one priority for most consumers, and so we're seeing a lot more of the activity taking place that they can, um, you know, that they they that they can use to target for this type of activity. But I also just think that it's proven to work, um, and 
you know, it's, it's just, a, again, just similar to ransomware. It's a very viable business for them. In terms of the retailers themselves trying to defend themselves against this, I mean, you, you, know, you mentioned that a big component of this is social engineering, and I suppose any retailer expects a certain amount of loss just to keep customers happy. Uh, is that what the, the bad guys are focusing in on here? Yeah, and I think in the, in the time of year is no coincidence when you know the retailers are receiving probably the highest volume of calls that they're going to have throughout the year. Um, mm. And so I think the I wouldn't say that their their guard is down, but I just think the volume of calls that they're getting, both legitimate and illegitimate, is very hard to keep the same level of uh, structured response that they may have in the slower times of the year. So I think that's a big part of it as well. So is the message here one of vigilance, or are there also some technical measures people can put in place? I think this is vigilance and training, right? So this is when we're always saying, you know, the, the people are the, the weakest link. I find that a lot of the holiday uh, attack scenarios are very much around individuals, around people focused on them, focused on social engineering. So it's really just, you know, making sure that you you follow the, the the standard advice for phishing emails those standard advice for um you know what what uh, those tech the, the smishing uh, that you get from text messages and you know there's there's this there is definitely the time of year if you're ever going to be more vigilant with messages that you're getting and you want to validate and verify the sender is real and the requests are real is, is definitely during the holidays yeah Well, good advice as always. Rob Boyce, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Huh? I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Guru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermasis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management 
and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.